Well, I don't know if you uh, knew it or not, but we had a presidential election yesterday. Don't know if you missed that. Maybe you're like sleeping all day or something. But uh, we did. We had a presidential election, but we still don't have a president. So, hey, um, it'll be settled in about 30 days or so probably, maybe 36, maybe six weeks, maybe eight weeks. Here's the deal. How can you have peace when, you don't, when we don't even know who our president is? Uh, okay, how can you have peace when, you don't, when everything seems like it's, uh, everybody's all tied up in knots, like even what Josh was sharing? Um, how do you have peace in the middle of all this when everybody hates each other and all this garbage is going on and who knows what's going to happen tomorrow and, uh, right? How do you have peace? Well, you have peace because you have Jehovah Shalom on the inside of you. Jehovah Shalom. You know, every time a person of the Jewish faith meets another person of the Jewish faith, you know what they say? Shalom, shalom. They do. They say shalom, shalom. Not just shalom. They say shalom, shalom. That means peace to your outer man and peace to your inner man. Now, isn't that cool? So next time you say hello to somebody, just go shalom, shalom. Peace to your inner man, peace to your outer man. Peace to your mind, peace to your spirit. Peace to you. Have some peace. Because this world doesn't have any peace, okay? In this world, it said, Jesus said, you'll have trouble, but be of good cheer. What does it mean to be of good cheer? That means wipe that frown off your face and decide to be happy. Decide that you're going to be of good cheer. He says, you know what? You're going to have some trouble. You're going to have some tribulation. You're going to have things that don't go your way. But you know what? Be of good cheer. For I have overcome the world, Jesus said. So be of good cheer. He didn't say, would you maybe please try to be of good cheer? No, he said, be of good cheer. Because I have overcome the world. So when we're in this spot where we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow and we're, you know, if you ever turn on your thing that's called a television, if you ever turn that thing on and if you ever happen to mistakenly end up on some news channel, doesn't even matter which one, you'll lose your peace in about 13 seconds unless it's a commercial. Because all they got is bad news. That's all they got is bad news. Oh, they're going to start throwing bricks in your city. Oh, the crazies are coming to your town. Oh, somebody did this, and somebody lied, and somebody said this, and somebody else said this. And after all, you go, ah, and you just put your fingers in your ears. At least that's what I do. Then I turn off the stupid thing. Because you can't, you, can't, you can't listen. Garbage in, garbage out. If all you get is trouble in your head, you know what? You aren't going to have any peace. You've got to keep your eyes on who? Who do you got to keep your eyes on? Somebody say Jesus, would you? You got to keep your eyes on Jesus. Even like Peter when the storm was going on. He looked at Jesus and he said, Jesus, if it's you, bid me come. And Jesus said, it's me, so you better come, right? That's basically what he said. Peter backed Jesus in a corner, and he said, hey, if it's you, Jesus, bid me come. Well, is Jesus supposed to say, nah, it's not really me? He couldn't do that because that'd be lying, and it's impossible for God to lie. So he just said, well, you, you caught me. It's me. I guess you better walk on the water. 
<clears throat> so Peter goes across the water. He's walking on the water. He is literally walking on water. If you haven't checked your physics book, that's impossible. But he was doing it anyway because Jesus suspended the laws of nature so he could walk on the water. So Peter's walking on the water. He's probably going, hey, hey check this out, dude, one foot, right? Here's my Heisman pose. And in the middle of it, he, all of a sudden he looks around and he goes, oh, wind, waves. So for our application, it's, oh, reports, reports, this, that. It doesn't even matter who wins the election. It's about what everybody's saying about it. That's what brings the anxiety. That's what brings everything. Because you know what? we we got to trust God no matter what. Ultimately, it says the heart of the king's in the hand of the Lord, and he'll turn it whichever way he will. It doesn't matter who wins. We just pray that God turns his heart toward righteousness. Amen, somebody. That's all. That's really because we serve the king of all presidents and all kings all over the world. doesn't matter who's in charge because we already know who's really in charge, right? I mean, he's the one that's in charge, not whoever they say is in charge around here. And God can supersede anybody. It, you know, it, 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 it's interesting because you talk in the, in the Old Testament to the Israelites and God used a ungodly king to bless Israel. He allowed them. When Nehemiah came to the king, he says, hey, my city's walls are broken down and, and, there's, and it's all in disrepair and, and I want you to help me, let me go. Because he was a captive and he had to stay there. And, not, and he says, I want you to let me go. And by the way, I want you to pay for it. And by the way, I want you to give me the materials. And by the way, I want you to give me an armed escort. That's kind of bold, don't you think? But here's what the king said. Okay. <laughs> the king says, okay. Next thing you know, Nehemiah gets to go back to Israel. And he, and, and he gets to build the wall around Jerusalem again. He starts to rebuild the wall, and he gets it done in 55 days, or 52 days, sorry. He gets it done in 52 days. And he, had, he just had to realize, even though he got a really bad report, and it made him really sad, and he cried, it says, and he lifted up his voice to the Lord, and he said, help, right? And that's when God showed him a plan of what he was to do. And then God gave him favor, even though these people that he was serving were not God's people. They were, he was a captive, right? And he, he, he was a captive, and yet he still had favor with the king, and he had favor with God. So Jehovah Shalom is revealed to Gideon. Now, everybody knows who Gideon is, right? He was the person who was threshing wheat. He was threshing wheat, in a wine press. Now, if you don't know what a wine press is, a wine press was kind of a hole in the ground that they, they pressed down the grapes so that it would then come out the bottom and they would collect it at the bottom, collect the juice, and then they would ferment it, and then it would become wine. If you, don't, if you know what threshing wheat is, you literally take the wheat, you throw it in the air, and the wind blows all the chaff away, and the, the, the straw and all that, and what falls is the kernels, the, the grain falls. So you throw it up in the air, and then the grain falls because it's heavy, and everything else blows away. Last time I checked, there's not much wind in a wine press. 
because it's a hole in the ground. So it's not a very efficient way to thresh wheat. So why is he in a wine press? He's in a wine press because he's afraid. Because every time they thresh wheat, every time they, they, they harvest their crops, every time they get anything good, the Philistines come and steal it. That's what's going on in Israel at the time. They're getting, they're getting stolen from every. So he says, I ain't going to let them steal my wheat. I'm going to thresh it right here, and I'm going to be in the wine press. I'm going to be safe, and I'm going to have my wheat. I'm going somewhere. Then an angel comes to him and says, Hail, thou mighty man of valor. That's my best angel voice I have. Um, so he says, Hail, Gideon, thou mighty man of valor. And Gideon goes, Huh? Starts looking around. He goes, you talking to me, right? And he says, yes, hail the mighty man. So here's this mighty, mighty man of valor who's hiding in a hole in the ground. So sometimes God's view of us and our own actions and our own view of us, they're not congruent. You get what I'm saying? Like they're kind of different. So God says he's a mighty man of valor, but he's really kind of chicken little. He's, he's over here hiding in a hole. So, but God's view of him was that he was a mighty man of valor. And then he says to him, peace. That's what, that's what the angel says to him. Peace, for Jehovah Shalom is with you. Ooh. So he says, Jehovah Shalom is is with you, the angel says to him. And he says, for the Lord your peace is upon you. So, so Gideon still doesn't believe it, so he asked for a sign, then he asked for another sign. God was gracious to him, and he gave him all his signs. And then God gives him a, a, an idea and a, a, a plan for how he's gonna go forward. He gets a whole bunch of guys, he sends them all home, then he ends up with 300 against 100,000, and he's like, oh, our goose, goose is cooked. So then... I'm giving you the, the Cliff's Notes version here. So <clears throat> he gets all done with that, and he ends up with this great victory, and he becomes a superhero, basically, in Israel because he defeats this huge army with just 300 guys. And then he's even smart enough that when everybody else is jealous and they start saying, oh, no, you think you're a big shot. He goes, oh, no, 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 I couldn't have done it without you. He becomes a diplomat, and he draws the whole country together, and he, becomes the, and he basically becomes the leader and the judge over, over Israel. And yet, when it started, he was chicken little. He was over in the hole, but God saw him in a whole different light. God saw him as a mighty man of valor, and then he brought peace because he says, for behold, Jehovah Shalom is with you. So when the angel says to him, Jehovah Shalom is with you, it brings peace because every time you speak God's word, I'm gonna keep saying this, I'll just keep repeating this because it's so true. God's word holds within itself the power to bring whatever it has promised to pass. So when you share Romans 10, 9, and 10 with somebody, the power of salvation is released at that moment, and if they will respond, they can be saved. The power of salvation is resident within God's word. So when you encounter a situation where everything's chaos and everything's upside down, and you walk into it and you go, 
peace. You walk in and just go, peace. Stop. What's going on here? You can literally change the environment, the atmosphere, just by saying peace or shalom in the middle of a crisis situation. I remember when a good friend of mine got broadsided by a car going 55 miles an hour, got thrown out of the car, broke his neck, broke his hip, had his ear torn off, and he was unconscious. He had a broken neck, broken back, broken hip, ear torn off, and he was bleeding and unconscious. When I, I actually was right behind him, and I found him in the road. And he was not breathing, <clears throat> and he was breathing out of his nose, his eyes, his mouth, and his ears. And he was unconscious. That's how I found him, on the concrete, about 20 feet away from the car, because he'd flown that far, landed on his head. Not a good day. So I'm right behind him. I run out there, and the first thing God has me do, I start, I kind of was upset because it was my friend, and he wasn't breathing. And I, I started screaming, death, you can't have him. Peace to you now. And I just kept on screaming, death, you can't have him in Jesus' name. Death, you can't have him in Jesus' name. And after about, I don't know how long, it was all just a blur, but I remember what I said, and I remember what happened. All of a sudden, he went, it spit blood right into my face. Now, today, that freaked somebody out, but that was 20 years ago. But he spit blood, and he went, looks with bright eyes and says, burn, what happened? And he goes, is, is, and he names the, his son, and he said, is he okay? I go, he wasn't with you. You were in a very serious accident. It's going to be okay. It's here. And I'm like holding him, and they tell me, have you been holding him like this for a while? I go, yeah. And he goes, he has a broken neck. You could have killed him. And I went, well, I didn't. He was like dead when I got here, and now he's alive, so I think he's going to be okay. Jesus kind of took care of this. And they're like, well, put him down. I'm like, oh, sorry. You know, so anyway, he completely recovered. And, and people from this church um, stood with him. And, but I rem- it was amazing. He, got, he completely recovered after that incident. My point is, what we kept doing, we'd walk into his room, and he was black and blue from head to toe because he was so beat up. But we would keep walking in there, and we played a, a, a CD called Peaceful Praise. Uh, we just spoke peace over him every day. We just said peace in Jesus' name. Peace. And we just sang peaceful songs and we just said peace. Because one of the definitions of peace is not just the absence of trouble, but it's the presence of God. It's the presence of God in the middle of your trouble that's peace. See, the absence of trouble is just the absence of trouble. You can have no trouble and still be miserable and anxious. You know that, right? Some of the most miserable people on the world are really, really rich, but they don't have Jesus, so they're miserable because no amount of money and no amount of calm can make you happy. Only Jesus can make you happy. Only Jesus can bring you peace because he is the prince of peace. So in the middle of any situation... That definition of peace, God's presence in the middle of your trouble, uh, 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 the Greek definition of peace, or actually it's the Hebrew, I'm sorry, it's the Hebrew definition of peace, infers nothing missing, nothing broken. That is the Hebrew, like the Hebrew definition of peace. Nothing missing, 
nothing broken. So if there's a bunch of stuff broke and a bunch of stuff missing, your best bet is to go shalom, which means that missing stuff needs to show up and the broken stuff needs to get fixed because that's what peace means, nothing missing, nothing broken. So if there's, if there's trouble between you and somebody else, you start saying, Father, I thank you, and I speak peace over our relationship. I speak peace over my relationship with my boss who seems to hate me, you know, that that's you. <clears throat> but you, 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 you speak peace, and you say, shalom, shalom. Why? Because that is invoking the name of God, number one, and bringing peace to that situation. One, another incident that I've experienced, I was, I was speaking at a church in another city, and this was when this church was just starting out, it was a, a while ago. I was preaching on a Wednesday night at this other church. All of a sudden, a guy, this, you got to understand where we were, I was in this little country church. I mean, when I say little, it was like as big as this one right here. This one group, of, probably halfway up, that was all the seating. So it's half of this section right here. That was the whole church. So I'm, we're in there, and it's this little country church, and all of a sudden this guy sticks his head because the windows are open, and there was no screens. So this guy, while I'm preaching, this guy sticks his head in the window, right? This like random person from the outside just sticks his head in the window while I'm preaching. I'm like, can I help you? <laughs> Here's this guy's head, like, okay, great. So he sticks his head in there, and he goes, Hey, you got to get these people out of here. There's a tornado. It's headed right directly for this building. You got to move now. Get everybody out of here now, now, now. And he starts screaming at me, right? So I'm like, okay, looks like we got to uh, go downstairs or something. And I look to the head usher and he starts filing people out. Me and the head elder of that church, we went outside and the sky was yellow. It was in late July. The sky was yellow and green. It was like, looks like tornado weather to me, right? I mean, that's what it is, yellow and green sky. And we were looking to the southwest, sure enough. And we're some, this is kind of before cell phone radar, so you couldn't really do that. But somebody was looking at radar, and they said, now this thing is headed right for you guys. You better get out, get out, better get out of there. Me and this guy, I was, we felt led by the Lord we stood out there, and we pointed at the sky, and we said, peace, you can't come here. This is God's house. And we started screaming at the clouds. And I'm sure all the neighbors thought we were lunatics, but that's okay. But we screamed at the clouds, me and the, the head elder. We screamed at those clouds, and we said, you're not going to destroy this building. You're not going to hurt any people here. We rebuke you. We refuse it. We confess the blood of Jesus, and we command you, go up into the sky and disappear. And the, the actual radar shows that tornado ripping everything up within about a hundred yards spread. Just tore trees down, everything. It got within three blocks of that church. It went boing up in the air, bounced over the church, and went down about two blocks after the church and continued to just destroy everything in its path. But see, we were out there and I'm not taking credit for it. I am saying all we did was we went out there, we were obedient to the Lord, and we spoke peace to that thing, and we commanded that thing to not destroy God's house. 
and that, that stinker popped right up, went right over us, and then landed again. You know, just about five years ago, a tornado came through here. It tore up stuff. It bounced over my house, and it hit Maple Hill Golf Course. Sorry, Maple Hill. Um, not my fault. I didn't do it. But then it comes over here. It's coming right for our church, and it bounces up, bounces right over our church, does a little bit of damage on one of the overhangs, and keeps on moving, tore up all kinds of trees out in the woods, and then it went on and did its damage everywhere else. But it bounced right over us. Why? Why did, well, what? What the world? What happened? Well, we were, happened to be standing in the building going, you can't do this here. Get out of here, tornado. We're talking to the clouds, right? I mean, this is five years ago. Pastor's in the, in, the, in the foyer with us. We're watching. He's like standing right next to the window. I said, Pastor, you ought to get away from the window. He goes, I'm fine. He's looking, at, he's looking outside. But we were speaking to those tornadoes. Why? We were calling for peace. We were saying peace. What did Jesus do? How did Jesus handle storms? Now, storms aren't just physical tornadoes. Storms are whatever's going on in your life. But this is an example. Mark 5, 35 it says, on the same day when evening had come, he said, let's cross over the other side. And when they had left the multitude, they took him. Just so you know, I didn't put this. This is not in my notes. So sorry. You're not going to see it. But it's Mark 5, 35. Mark 4, 35. It says, um, now they had left the multitude and they took him along in the boat. And there were other boats with him. And a great windstorm rose. And the waves beat into the boat. And it was already filling up. They were starting to take on water. But he was in the stern asleep. So Jesus wasn't worried about the storm. He was sleeping, right? He was asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said, Teacher, don't you care that we're perishing? And he arose and he rebuked the wind. They see, that's why I feel okay talking to clouds, because Jesus did, right? So it's, I mean, if Jesus did it, it's okay. He said, these works shall you do and greater works shall you do because I go to the Father. So lest you think I'm crazy for talking to clouds, Jesus did. So I'm just doing, being like him. He arose, rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, peace, be still. One translation says, hey, shh. That's one translation. Just like he just said, hey. Shush. Just knock it off. And it says, the, the, the amazing thing is it says, and the wind ceased and there was a great calm. He said to them, why are you so fearful? And I think that's what the Lord's asking all of us tonight. Why are you so fearful? Why are we so fearful? Have you no faith? And they feared exceedingly, and he said to one another, and they said to one another, who can this be that even the wind and the waves obey him? Who is this that even the wind, I tell you, that's the Jesus that we serve. Even the wind and the waves obey him. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. There is no recession in heaven. They have streets made of gold. There is no recession in heaven. There's more than enough. He is El Shaddai, the God who's more than enough for any situation you have. And if there's worry, he's got more than enough peace. So what do we do if we're worried? What, what, what do we do? 
Ephesians 2.17 says, He came and preached peace to those who were afar off and to those who were near, for, they, for through him we both have access to one spirit by the Father. Isaiah 26.3 says, <clears throat> You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is fixed upon you because he trusts you. So how do we get peace? We fix our mind upon Jesus. We turn our eyes upon Jesus. We, like Peter, when he had his eyes upon Jesus, he walked on the water, but as soon as he observed the wind and the waves, what did he do? He sank. Here's your nugget for the night. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So if you're afraid, start meditating on scriptures that have to do with, that deal with fear. Because you can overcome it by scriptures that deal with peace and scriptures that deal with fear. So faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Here's the flip side of that. Anxiety comes by hearing and hearing of the bad report. That's the, that's the flip side of the same truth. That anxiety and fear come by hearing and hearing by the bad news. So what you've got to do is you've got to acknowledge, yep, the bad news exists, but I'm going to fix my mind upon Jesus and his word, his promises, and then I'll have perfect peace. But if I just dwell and meditate on the negative, I am going to be filled with fear and I'm going to be filled with anxiety because that's what it produces. Bad news produces fear and anxiety. God's word produces life and peace. So you, we have to discipline ourselves and decide that we're going to put God's word through our eyes and through our ears and let it get into our heart because that's what brings hope, faith, and peace is by meditating on God's word. Colossians 3.15, it says, Let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which you were also called to one body and be thankful. Uh, the, I love the Amplified Translation in this one where Colossians 3.15, it says, Let the peace of God rule as the umpire in your heart, settling every dispute. Settling every dispute. What settles every dispute? The peace of God. So if you're torn, you don't know where to go, you don't know what to do, I always ask people, when you think about it, what happens in your heart? Do you have peace in your heart for this? Or do you have like a, do you have like a, a, a hitch in your giddy-up when it comes to thinking about doing this? Is there like, ooh, is there a, a what is it? And if you have a hesitation or a, or, a, or a hitch in your going forward, chances are you ought to pray some more and make sure that that's not just indigestion and that it's really God stopping you from doing, from doing this thing. I can tell you from personal experience, doing this for 35 years, <clears throat> and that is whenever I'm in a situation and I feel I have a, some people call it a check, I call it kind of a hitch, just like, ooh, what's that? Whenever I have that, if I listen, I win. Things go my way, and, I, and good things happen. If I ever, and I have, unfortunately, if I ever override 
that thing. If I ever override, and I, when I mean that thing, I'm not being disrespectful. I'm talking about the, the check, okay? If the Holy Spirit gives you a check in your inner man, and you, you have the ability to override that, totally. You could just say, nah, I'm gonna do it anyway. And if I have done that, and every time I have done that, it has turned into me apologizing or making it right or having something not pleasant happen in my life. Every single time. So it says that you can let the peace of God act as the umpire or in your life. Are you gonna go forward or are you gonna stop? Are you gonna say that word or are you gonna stop? Are you gonna send that email or are you gonna wait until you can pray about it? And then the best idea usually is to read it 15 or 20 hours later and you realize, ooh, I said some pretty mean things in that email. I really ought to smooth that out a bit. Anybody ever done that? Because if you have, that means you actually let that check take over. And see, if you ever just, you're mad, you fire back an email to somebody, you almost always regret it, right? I mean, I have. You respond too quickly, you respond in the flesh, and then, then you gotta eat crow and apologize. And the thing that they did wrong, you actually were worse, and so you end up apologizing even though it was their fault to start with. But you responded wrong, so then you have to apologize. Just hates, I hate that, but it's good, okay? Let the peace of God rule in your heart as the umpire. So to be carnally minded would be to fill your mind with all stuff from this world. News articles, uh, whatever it is, entertainment, whatever it is. That's things of this world. To be carnally minded, it says, is death. To be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded, to keep your mind on things above, to meditate on the word, and to keep your mind on Whatsoever things are good, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, think on these things. If you'll be spiritually minded, what does it say? It says you'll have life and peace. This, this scripture, John 16, 33, these things have I spoken to you that you may have peace. In the world you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. 1 Corinthians 14, God's not the author of confusion, but he is the author of peace. Galatians 5 says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. Here's some good news for you. Romans 16, 20. And the God of peace will crush Satan under, it doesn't say under his feet. I always thought that was kind of funny. I always thought it was like, and the God of peace will crush Satan under his feet. But that's not what it says. Read it. Let's all read it together. And the, come on, come on. And the God of peace will crush Satan under. Now how about saying under my feet? Hold it. What is that all about? And the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. Woo! That means that you have authority over Satan through the, through the name and the blood of Jesus and your authority, your authority, 
can overcome the works of Satan in your life. And it says he's going he's to do it. The God of peace is going to crush Satan, but he's going to use your feet. He's going he's gonna to crush Satan under your feet. He's going to tread down Satan. You know what Jesus is saying? I already whooped you once, devil. Watch this. I'm going to have my kids whoop you. Huh? I'm so, you're, such a, you're so defeated, I whipped you, and now I'm going to have all my kids whip you too. My, my younger brothers and sisters, my little brother's going to beat you up now. That's a little brother talking over there. And he says, it's going to crush him under your feet. You have the ability to crush the works of the enemy under your feet. You don't have to say, oh, God's going to do it. Oh, God, this, God, that. No, he said, I am going to do it through you. I'm going to enforce Jesus' victory through you. You're going to crush. He's going to crush him, but he's going to do it through you. Ooh, that's good news right there. Ephesians 2.14 says, he himself is our peace, who made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. Jesus has already made peace between us and God. God is not mad at you. Not one lick. He is not mad at you. There is no anger in God toward you. It's all been satisfied through Jesus. He only has good thoughts. You know, it says in Jeremiah 29, 11, it says, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, thoughts of peace. Thoughts of peace. God's thoughts toward you are thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you a hope and a future. So when you look at this, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, which means just asking, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which goes beyond all human understanding, when it doesn't make sense, when everything seems to be going to Hades in a handbasket, and nothing makes sense, you can have peace. Because the peace of God goes beyond human understanding. Ooh, it goes beyond human understanding. It says he'll keep your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Here's one for you. Colossians 1.20. And by him to reconcile himself by him, whether things on earth or in heaven, having made peace. Through the blood of the cross, through the blood of his cross. Having made peace through the blood of his cross. Now, this is, this is particularly important, and I'm going to say this because it's super important. Colossians 1, verse 20. That's a scripture I want you to remember, I want you to think about, I want you to meditate on. Because if you have, and I'm going to, I'm, this is the application part, if you have any relationship that is adversarial. You know what I'm, if you have a broken relationship with a loved one, with an old friend, you've had a misunderstanding, maybe words were said that maybe were said in anger and you wish you could take them back, but that's the bad part about words, you can't take them back once you said them. Um, but if you've got a broken relationship, a strained relationship, a relationship that is just in disrepair or 
there's anger there or unforgiveness. I'm not saying unforgiveness from you. I'm saying unforgiveness from the other person. That person won't talk to you. They won't reconcile. I can personally testify that this particular scripture is, I, I would advise you, admonish you, ask you to take this scripture, pray over it, and then say, God, I thank you that the blood of the cross reconciles me and name the person. Just say, Father, I thank you that his blood on that cross, the blood of his cross, makes peace between me and whoever it is that you have a conflict or maybe a misunderstanding or there's some kind of strain on your relationship. I would just encourage you to do that. I have seen seemingly hopeless relationships that were, that were strained beyond strained and yet they've been restored because we stand on this scripture. This is one of the scriptures that we stand on, Colossians 1.20. He makes peace through the blood of his cross. And you literally just continually th- say, thank you, Father, that you make peace between me and fill in the blank with whoever it is that you need peace with and through the blood of your cross. And I thank you for peace. And you, as you pray like that, you know what you end up doing? You end up developing a kind of a, a love or a, um, a deeper relationship and care for that person that you're praying for. And it's, just, it's amazing what happens. And then one day, you'll see and you'll experience one day that that person will go, you know, I don't know what really happened, but you know what? I just want to ha- make things right. And you go, me too. Let's... And you see, that prayer right there is a powerful scripture. It's powerful. And you can actually stand on that promise right there for your relationships. I'm trying to think if I have to, if, I, if I'm going to end there, if I'm going to go further. Isaiah 53, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the punishment that purchased our peace was laid upon him. He paid the price for your peace. Jesus paid the price on the cross. That's the blood of his cross. That's the price that he paid. He's already paid the price for your peace. He's already paid the price for you to walk in perfect peace if we'll just keep our mind firmly fixed and stayed. It says stayed, but it just means firmly fixed. That's all it means. So we keep, we, we purpose to fix our eyes on Jesus and keep his word in front of us. That when we start to worry, we go, whoa, 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 we are not gonna worry. We're gonna think about what Jesus says about this situation and we're gonna just say what God says about this situation and we're not gonna worry. You know, Romans 8, 28, we sang it tonight. He takes what the enemy meant for evil and turns it for our good. Romans 8, 28 says, don't you know that all things work together for good for those who love him and who are called according to his purpose? All things work together for our good. Somebody says, well, how could this possibly work together for my good? I said, I don't know, but if I have to pick between you're a liar or God's a liar, I pick you. Bottom line. See, if, if you tell me that God's word's a lie, I say you're a liar. Because God's word is forever settled in heaven and yours isn't. So God's word is true. So when he says that all things work together for your good, I'd suggest that you believe him. 
Because all things work together for our good. See, I don't understand it. Me neither. But it's still true. See, nobody understood that Lazarus, when he was four days in the tomb, that he was going to come out. And nobody believed it. When Jesus said he's only sleeping, they're going, dude, he's been dead for four days. But Jesus said, no, he'll live again. Oh, I know he's going to live again at the resurrection. He goes, no. If, and he said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though we are dead, yet shall he live. So God's word has the ability to bring peace into the middle of whatever it is that's, caught, that's taken away your peace. God's word has the ability. Confessing peace over relationships. Confessing peace over whatever it is. And just making the determination and the decision that no matter what happens. I mean, we don't, we don't ask for bad things to happen. But if something happens and it's not a good thing, what you've got to, your first reaction, or at least I hope it would be your first reaction, would be, God, how are you possibly going to use this for good? But I thank you that you're going to use this for my good. And if you'll take that as your posture, you know what? The devil can never keep you down very long. You know, it says in Psalm 37, 25, I was young and now I'm old, and I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. It says, I've never... He's, David says, I was young and now I'm old, which means I've been doing this a while, and I could echo that and say, I've never seen the righteous forsaken. He always, always supplies for his people. So how's he going to do that? I don't know. But I'd suggest that you trust him, and I'd suggest that you start agreeing with him instead of agreeing with your checkbook. When your checkbook talks to you, talk back to it. My God supplies all my needs. When your checkbook says, there ain't enough money. My God supplies all my needs. When your body says, you're sick, but by Jesus' stripes I'm healed. Dude, I was sicker than a dog about a month ago. I had COVID. I was down for the count for a few days, maybe a week. And I was talking to my body the whole time. Temperature, be 98.6. Junk, get out of my lungs. Body, be healed. Fatigue, get out of my body. You don't have any right in here. Aches, get out of my joints. Because every, every joint in my body hurt. And it, I just was so tired. But you know what? After a, a few days, you know what happened? I started feeling better. And then I got better. And today, you'd never know I had it. it I feel great. So my point is, talk, talk God's word no matter what. So we don't have a president right now. Big deal at this point. You can't change it by worrying about it, right? I mean, last time I checked. And don't sit there and take a steady diet of worry and fear on TV. Because no matter what, it, internet, TV, whatever it is, it's all worry and fear. From the right, from the left, they're both doing worry and fear. That's not a good diet. That's like eating Captain Crunch every day. Like all three meals. It's not good. And that's that stuff just that worry and fear will 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 destroy. It'll actually destroy you. It'll actually cause you to just be filled with fear and then anxiety takes over and then you're then you're then it starts having bodily symptoms and all kinds of crazy stuff. So I would say to you, encourage you, get a hold of God's word about peace. Grab a hold of it and start decide that you're gonna have peace that 
Jesus is bigger than whatever it is you're facing. He's bigger. He's just, he's got more than enough power to help us and he's benevolent, he loves us and he wants to help us. So let's just pray. Let's, let's finish up and pray. Father, we thank you that today, today, you are the Prince of Peace. When you were born, they said, peace, goodwill toward men, peace on earth. You're the Prince of Peace. So we just to receive you as the Prince of Peace in our hearts. We receive you as peace, shalom, Jehovah shalom over our lives. And we ask you to go before us and make a level path for us to walk on. We ask you to go before us and cause even our enemies to live at peace with us. We thank you, Father, for peace. The blood of the cross brings peace between every relationship where there's, where there's conflict, where there's brokenness. We thank you that the blood of the cross brings peace to these relationships. We thank you, Father, that we can be anxious in nothing, but in everything with prayer and supplication, we can make our requests be made known to you. And your shalom, shalom will keep our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus because it goes beyond our human understanding. We thank you, Father, for going beyond our brain and giving us peace that we can live out of our inner man. We can live in peace. No matter what's going on around us, Father, you bring to my remembrance right now that Joseph, when he was in prison, when he had been sold by his brothers, when he had been nothing but betrayed by everybody, your word says in Genesis 39 that Joseph was a successful man. Father, we just, we just need your perspective. We need your, your vantage point that you could see Joseph as a successful person, as a slave in prison. You called him a successful man. So, Father, we just acknowledge that we can't see clearly. So we ask you to give us eyes that see, ears that hear, and a heart that can turn and be healed. That we can see things from your perspective. And that, Father, we can receive your peace. No matter what's happening, we thank you for your peace in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.